Awesome. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Um, the title of the sermon is The Sabbath Was Made for Man. Um, but I want to do a couple things before I get into it. As, um, as Paul mentioned, Pastor Sean is in Costa Rica with uh, Jesus and Lindsay and, and, and Dana and Jesus and Lindsay's girls. And uh, they're down there because the Lord has really put it on Jesus and Lindsay's hearts to become missionaries and go serve in Costa Rica. And so um, we really feel as a church that, that the Lord's leading us to really dig into that and partner with them in that. And so they're down there just um, kind of seeing the lay of the land and, and just kind of looking for open doors. And also um, they're going to be part of a Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference. And so they're kind of uh, serving there, and then Pastor Sean's going to be uh, teaching some other pastors about, about grace. So here's the update I got from Sean. We're seeing God open crazy doors for us. He has answered many prayers, and so many new re- relationships and people excited to learn about grace. The Calvary Conference was good. Very excited to preach next week about grace, expecting maybe 15 pastors. So pretty cool. Um, he's, there's a picture of him eating uh, a fried fish, like the whole entire fish with the eyeballs and everything. So it um, looks like they're having a good time. So keep them in your prayers. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, and in honor of Sean, I always pull some really cheesy corny jokes out just because uh, that's, we got to honor Sean's tradition there. So uh, here you go. What's the difference between Jesus and pizza? Jesus can't be topped. It's, it's terrible, right? Why are, why are Adams Catholic? Because they have mass. <coughs> and then this is a non-church one, but what's the difference between a poorly dressed man on a tricycle and a well-dressed man on a bicycle? Attire. There you go. Um, as I said, uh, we'll be in uh, Mark chapters 2 and 3. Um, three of the last four times I've taught, it's been either about resting in Jesus' Sabbath or about the Sabbath. Um, the first time I taught out of a passage in, uh, in Hebrews about Jesus is being our Sabbath rest. But the last two times I've taught, I've just kind of picked up where Sean was and he said, hey, preach this section. And it's been about the Sabbath. So um, I think that's interesting. And I think that means that I have a lot to learn about resting. And, um, and God has a lot to teach me there. Um, but it's kind of fun to get to teach through a subject a couple different times because every time it's a completely different angle that the Lord kind of shows me. Um, and we're also going to talk about David again, who I mentioned in my last sermon. So it's kind of fun how the Lord worked that out. Um, but since we're talking about the Sabbath again, let's talk about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Chick-fil-A loses out on more than $1 billion worth of sales every year by being closed on Sundays. And it's a brilliant business strategy. Um, being closed on Sundays means Chick-fil-A loses out on 14% of the possible hours they could be open, but experts say it could be 15 to 16% of their total income because Sundays are high traffic days. Um, and while Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, originally started this based on his Christian faith, wanting to honor the Sabbath, um, closing on Sundays is also a brilliant, brilliant business decision, experts say, because um, it cements Chick-fil-A's reputation it benefits the workers and it persuades customers to come back with a greater sense of urgency. Um, how many of you have had that Sunday afternoon craving for it? And you're just like, oh. And, 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 then, and then you get a chance to do it later in the week and it tastes that much better because it wasn't available on the Sunday when you drove by. So um, that's the law of supply and demand. And experts in the restaurant industry say Chick-fil-A's once-a-week closure helps in giving a perception of limited supply. 
But there are other important ways that the policy works to the company's advantage. For one, it's respectable. It shows that the company is willing to miss out on some revenue to give franchisees and employees an extra day of rest. And it turns out that it allows the franchise to use it as a perk for recruiting. It makes it easier to get good employees. Um, Happier employees mean better businesses, right? After all, it's a win-win for the company, even if their bottom line suffers a little bit. And just like that, you know, that idea of Chick-fil-A being closed on Sundays, our passage this morning happens to be about the Sabbath and food. So I think there's some interesting parallels uh, between, between the two concepts. Um, we're so prone to rules and regulations. We like structure. We like things tidy and simple, black and white. I, I, I don't want to... I want vague things. I want to. I want. I want. I want precise things. And um, just like just like the many benefits Chick Fil A enjoys from being closed on Sundays, God is so much more interested in blessing us and bringing joy to our lives through things like the Sabbath. Um, but we often hold on to rules and make it so much more than it was supposed to be, um, and we get lost in legalism and miss out on so much that God has for us. And that's going to kind of be the theme today. Reading about some people get lost in the the legalism of, uh, of the Sabbath and how it impacts them and the people around them. So let's pray and we'll dig into Mark chapter 2. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's so trustworthy, Lord, and that it's so um, faithful to do what you've, what you've given it to us for, which is to just show us your truth and remind us of um, your love and your grace and um, just the blessings you want to pour out on our lives. Lord, I pray our hearts will be open to that, Lord. I pray you would show, the, show us the ways in which um, we cling to rules and our interpretations of things instead of trusting in um, your promises and your truth, Lord. So I pray you just apply this, this passage to our hearts, um, speak through me, and help it to be your words and not mine. And we thank you for, for your incredible love for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick up in verse 23 of Mark chapter 2. We're going to re- read the first two verses here. Now what happened that when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The story begins with Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field. It was a Sabbath and they were hungry. What they really wanted was a Chick-fil-A deluxe sandwich with waffle fries, a Dr. Pepper, and an ice cream cone. But since it was closed, they just started picking the heads of grain in the field. The Pharisees, who always seemed to be looking for an opportunity to be somebody down with the law, immediately took offense to this. You see, the Old Testament passages are clear. The Jews were not to work on the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was to rest from your labors. It was a day of rest for God. He, he rested on the seventh day when he created the earth. The ark rested on the Mount Ararat in the seventh month. The focus is rest. Um, Hebrews calls Jesus our Sabbath rest. He is our rest um, so let's turn to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, to review what that section says about the Sabbath in light of, of them picking grains and whether it was violating this prohibition on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And Leviticus 23.3 says, Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. The Sabbath clearly had a prohibition of work, but the pharisaical tradition was not comfortable with this. They had to define what was and wasn't work. Legalism always requires semantics, and this is where the disciples crossed the line. Here's what David Guzek has to say about this section. He's an a awesome pastor who's got some great resources on Blue Letter Bible. Um, I love his commentaries. Um, they're free, and, and you can just log in blueletterbible.org to look them up. Um, Guzik says, The rabbis made an elaborate list of do's and don'ts relevant to the Sabbath, and this violated one of the items on the list. When the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain on the Sabbath, in the eyes of the religious leaders, they were guilty of four violations of the Scripture. They violated traditions against reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. At this time, the rabbis had filled Judaism with elaborate rituals related to the Sabbath and the observation of the other laws. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or his left hand, across his chest or on his shoulder, but you could carry something with the back of your hand, with your foot, with your elbow, in your ear, your hair, the hem of your shirt, or the shoe of your sandal. Or on the Sabbath, you were forbidden to tie a knot. Except a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. So if a bucket of water had to be raised from the well, you could not tie a rope to the bucket. But a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket. So you see the Pharisees are offended because the disciples had violated their traditions. By their definition of work, the disciples were clearly working on the Sabbath. And it was unacceptable. And I'd like to sit here and talk about how horrible the Pharisees are and and how legalistic they are and their insistence on taking God's gift of rest and turning it into a burden of, of legalistic rules to weigh people down. But I can't. Because you see, in my flesh, there's a Pharisee. And, and, and there's a part of me that struggles with God and His grace and His love for me. God gives us His grace unconditionally with no strings attached. And, and that's hard for me. I'm always, I'm always adding my traditions to it. Jesus loves me unconditionally, but my heart feels like that's true uh, maybe as long as or especially when I'm spending time in the Word and don't do anything really bad. Um, Jesus has forgiven my sins, and I believe that, but I sometimes feel like maybe He's a little disappointed in me for some of them still. Um, Jesus has promised to change me from the inside, but I better try harder to help Him accomplish that goal. And I, I find that I am constantly taking God's laws or His promises and, and interpreting them through my mindset through my, my understanding, through my human perspective, and adding, removing things from his promises and his law. Um, and I think our, our hearts are just like the Pharisees, trying to twist a gift like resting on the Sabbath. And instead of just taking it as this gift of rest, we want to try and figure out what's resting and what's not resting. We want to we find all the rules and make it exactly you know, written down. So it's interesting to see how Jesus responds to this. How's he going to respond? Is he going to argue with them? Um, let's read in, in Mark chapter 2. We're back in Mark chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. But he, being Jesus, said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. 
How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. As is so often the case, Jesus doesn't argue with their definition of work. He doesn't get in a debate about whether the disciples had broken the law or not. Jesus references a story in 1 Samuel 21, which brings them to the heart of the matter. Let me explain kind of what's happening with David. So this is the stage in David's life where um, David's still a young man and he's been anointed king, but Saul is still king. And he's still serving Saul. He's running around fighting battles for Saul. He's married to Saul's daughter. Um, But Saul is getting more and more uncomfortable with David being around because David's so popular. David's so successful. Everything, every war he fights, he's victorious and he gets all the glory for it. And Saul knows that his, his time is limited. He knows that he's on a, um, on a short leash and that eventually David is going to replace him. And so Saul gets more and more angry and keeps getting more and more threatened by David. And um, David realizes that it's no longer safe for him to be in Israel. And so this is the point when he's fleeing Saul. He realized that Saul has put out a, a warrant for David's death and says, you find him, you kill him. I want him dead. I'm, I'm done playing around with this. And so David's running from Saul, and he's, he's running with nothing. He's got the clothes on his back, and that's it. Um, and so he, he's running away from, from, uh, from Saul, and he, he runs into this, this priest of him, elect the priest. He runs to wherever the temple is, and he asks him for some bread. He says, I need food. I, I literally don't have food. I don't have anything. And the priest says to him that there's no common bread on hand, the bread that would normally be something he would share. The only thing that was left was the showbread. And this was the very special ceremonial bread that they put 12 loaves of in the temple. And it was, it was, in, it was in a very holy spot in the temple. And it was kind of a, a bread that, that um, only the priests were supposed to eat. Um, what was interesting is I looked up, I tried to find the verses where it said only priests can eat it. And I couldn't find it. And, and maybe I didn't research long enough. Um, but I, I, some of the references I, I read said that that the law for the bread said that it was for the priests, but it didn't necessarily say it wasn't for other people. It was clearly a holy item. And in this interaction David has with Abiathar, Abiathar says, well, there's only the holy bread. And David's like, well, we've kept ourselves clean. We're not ceremonially unclean, so we can eat it. And so um, in this story, Abiathar gives David some of this bread. And then David and his men live off this bread for a little while as they're running from Saul and they go run into the desert to hide. And so Jesus references this story about David, a very hallowed figure in the Bible, and to those Pharisees and also the priests of another a high priest, a very hallowed figure in their, in their tradition as well. Um, I'm going to read another Guzik commentary. He says, The point with Ahimelech and Jesus is powerful. Human traditions are never more important than God's word itself. If God had said, only the priest can eat this bread, it would have been different. But God never said that. To put the only in there seemed logical, but it was adding to God's word. We must never elevate our extension or application of God's word to the same level as God's word itself. What human traditions or extensions, including your own, are you, are, of, of God's word are you allowing to impact your life? Um, I so often take his word and his promises and I process them through the lens of my logic and how I would treat people, what I think is just or what I think is fair, or how I, would, how I would be if I was God. But the problem is God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's, he's holy. He's above and separate from, from all the things that, 
that we can't see or the things that soil us. He's, he's different. And um, I think it's such a key reason why we need to be in the Word. As we're in the Word, it allows us to, to go through that again and the Holy Spirit to apply it and say, you think this is my heart for you, but if you read this, I'm going to show you that you've got a little bit wrong. And Spending time in the Word every day allows Him to, to, to speak those truths back into our hearts. Back in Mark chapter 2, Jesus goes further and digs deeper into the heart of the matter. Verse 27, And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. What many of us struggle to accept and what legalism can't accept is that God cares more about people than He does His laws. His laws show us our need for Him and drive us not to His judgment and condemnation, but His incredible love for us. That's what these final two verses, that's where these final two verses come in. God made the Sabbath to bless us, not to serve, not for us to serve the law. I mean, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man. He made it to be a gift to us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath and be under the thumb of the Sabbath. It's this incredible gift expressing God's love. Then Jesus takes it a step further and reminds us and the Pharisees of his authority on these matters. Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We don't, don't get to argue with him on what we think his rules mean or how we should apply them. He created them, has authority over them, and, when they apply, and, and, and how they apply to our lives uh, um, is something that he's in charge of. Um, if you struggle with legalism like I often do, then spending time in the, the Word with the Lord um, is one of the ways he... He can change that part of our lives. He can keep reminding of us, us of his truth and showing us things in our lives or thoughts or beliefs or um, perspectives we have that don't fit his heart, his truth, or his word. So with that, let's read on to chapter 3 because, as you guessed it, there's another section about the Sabbath. So chapter, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we're going to read the first two verses here. And he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. They wondered whether, sorry, let me read that again. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Once again, the Pharisees are working hard, which is ironic, because it's the Sabbath, and they're working very hard to catch Jesus break a rule. Once again, they missed the point that the Sabbath was created to be a blessing to man. And this is a really heartbreaking passage because the Pharisees have no heart for this man and his disability, which was a major problem for him in that day and age. If you had a withered hand, um, tradition says he was a carpenter, but it didn't matter in that culture. There's, there's all kinds of problems with your hands. You had a clean hand and a dirty hand. You did unclean things with your dirty hand, and you did clean things like eat and interact with people with your clean hand. But if you only had one hand... You just had a dirty hand, and he would change how you could interact with people, how he could provide for himself, how he could work. There were, there were so many parts of this that were a major impact to this person. Um, but the Pharisees had no heart for him. Um, and they, they hoped to use Jesus' compassion to trap him and to, as, it, as an ammunition to destroy him. Uh, another interesting note here is that um, the Pharisees have a lot of faith in Jesus. They expect him and know that he will have compassion on this man. And they expect and know that he can heal this man. So it's very interesting. They have a lot of faith, um, which is, is kind of convicting to me because often that's more faith than I have in Jesus, that 
that Jesus can meet the others is something I that meet the needs of others is something I struggle with sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. This this can Jesus change this situation? Can Jesus bless this person? And and I, I struggle with my my own doubts about about God. And and the Pharisees didn't have that doubt. They they knew that Jesus was going to heal this guy. They were they were planning on it. So referencing our earlier discussion, the pro the law had a prohibition on working the Sabbath, but it's healing and blessing someone. Verse 3, and he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Jesus calls out their traditions and brings them into conflict. Anytime we add rules and expectations to God's word, it always leads to contradictions. Jesus asks them a question they're not willing to answer. It's an interesting question. If Jesus had the power to heal this man and does not do so, is that good or evil? Is it more sinful to do evil or, or to do work on the Sabbath? Is adding restrictions to the Sabbath that burden people good or evil? The Pharisees don't answer because they have their, know there is no defense for their position. They also know they have forced Jesus to make a decision he can't win. He's going to break their rules and they know it and they love it. That's what the law and the legalism will do to you. It puts you in a lose-lose situation. Verse 5. And when he had looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Jesus looks at them with anger. It's a, it's a phrase you won't find much in the New Testament. Jesus only shows anger a couple of times. Um, but this is righteous anger. This is, this is him being livid with them for not caring for this man and for continuing to perpetuate these laws that were holding down and crushing these people's lives. And, and he's, he's, he's very unhappy about it. Legalism, the law, and the damage it does to our lives and the lives of those around us angers God. The Pharisees feel like they caught him in the act, but I don't think they did. Here's what's interesting. He didn't do any work. He told the man to put out his hand, and it was made whole. Jesus didn't touch him, pray over him, anoint him with oil. All he did was speak. You could argue that Jesus didn't do the healing. It was the Holy Spirit that healed the man. All Jesus did was speak to the man, but it did not matter to the Pharisees. They got that what they wanted the ammo they needed to destroy him. You see, they were threatened by Jesus, by his popularity and his unwillingness to play by their rules. So what did they do after this? They, they responded by breaking one of, another one of their own traditions. They immediately started plotting with the Herodians how they might destroy Jesus. And the Herodians were Jews who were kind of in favor of Herod ruling the Jewish state. And to many Jews, that was the worst form of being a traitor there could be. You're helping this man who's, who's keeping us under the thumb of Rome. And the Pharisees and the Herodians did not get along. But in this case, they did because they, they had a common enemy in Jesus. And so all of a sudden, the Pharisees break with one of their long-held traditions and start working with the Herodians because they, they hate Jesus more than they hate these Herodians and are willing to work with them to destroy Jesus. Do you ever find that God's grace makes you anger, angry? Does it 
bother you that he doesn't play by your rules or do the way, things the way you want him to? He seems to bless us at times when we feel we, we deserve it the least. Many other times when we feel like we're doing our best, he brings trials and tribulations into our lives. Um, we struggle, we have struggles in our lives that he won't take away. We want him to, and he frustrates our every turn. Us, he frustrates us at every turn as we try to better ourselves and to, to fix ourselves and the things in our lives that are broken. He seems so intent on breaking us of our self-reliance, self-focus, and self-esteem. Instead, he challenges us to rest in him, trust him, humble, us, humble ourselves, and stop trying. It's the beauty of the Sabbath. It's this, our, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. There's all these things we're wrestling in our lives, and he's, he's asking us to just trust him. Have faith in his goodness and faithfulness. Stop focusing on the rules and instead focus on him. When we read this section, we often focus on the Pharisees in both stories. But I want to take a moment and focus on the man with the withered hand. Jesus told this man to step forward, and he did. Jesus told him to stretch out his hand, and he did. And he was healed. I love this contrast. Simple faith, simple obedience. He didn't ask questions. He didn't say, oh, i got to do something, or, or, or you know, can I pay you, or I'm not worthy. He just trusted. And he was healed, and this, this contrast is amazing with the Pharisees. And this is the beauty of grace. This is what the Sabbath is all about. Jesus just asks us to trust him and rest in his grace. We're worried about trying harder and understanding what God wants from us, what he's looking for, what we can do better. And he's looking for simple childlike faith and humility. This, this man was rewarded with a life-changing, life-giving healing. Um, Jesus saw him, saw his need, and cared for him deeply. Often we miss out on the blessings Jesus has for us because they are too simple. We want or accept, expect something more. And simple faith requires faith and a lack of control. Um, may we be more like the disciples and, and the man in this, this story. When we are spiritually hungry, let's walk in the fields with Jesus and feast on the food he has supplied. As John Corson said in his commentary, many of us are paralyzed relationally, wounded financially, or withered emotionally. Jesus is asking us to trust him and stick out our hand to receive the healing he freely gives to those who are humble and trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you just for the chance to, s to spend time in it and wrestle with it. Lord, we pray that you would um, just challenge our, our traditions and our beliefs and, and the ways we've taken your, your grace and your love and your promises and your law and we've, we've changed them and we've added details and we've, we've made it into something that we think we can understand or, or control. And Lord, I pray we would we'd grow in just simple, humble faith and simple humility and just allow you to be at work in our lives lord help us to be more like the, the the disciples and the man with the withered hand and just come to you with a childlike faith we thank you for your word uh, we pray for your blessings our pastor sean as he's in costa rica this week that you would just bless him and dana um, just help them to uh, be a blessing to those pastors and talk about your grace and we pray especially for dana and her and i think her back was bothering her lord that you'd be bringing healing to her and um, we just thank you for loving us, Lord. It's, it's such a blessing to be here this morning. And the only reason we're having this conversation is because is of your love, Lord. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your grace. Um, but you pour it out just 
in unimaginable volumes on us when we allow you to. So we thank you for loving us. We thank you for, for dying on the cross for our sins to make that possible. And Lord, I just pray you bless each and every person in this room this week. Watch over them, encourage them, and remind them of your love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.